for tonight. You guys can make your way back to your seats. It is so good to see so many people in the house tonight. I, um, I was asked to introduce the preacher, and when I was asked, I was shocked. And then I'm kind of bashful, so I was overtaken with laughter and pretty obvious humor. But then it's as if God kind of just settled a blanket of thoughtfulness on me. And I started to remember the person that's coming to the desk is a, he's a Christian by every form of the word. And has willingly taken on the responsibility of proclaiming that title. And I've been afforded the privilege of witnessing God transform him as a man and his focus in these last days on the call of God for himself, but also for all of you. That's something to clap about. I'm excited about that. From many conversations we've had of his absolute burden for young people and the time spent in prayer and fasting for this next generation, hours of study just to have an answer if anyone has a question, his heart for God is unquestionable and his heart for you all is indescribable. So Matthew, we want you to come preach the word. We want you to come convey your heart. Can everyone just give him a... Back him up. We're backing you up tonight. Come preach the word. Why don't we usher in the presence of God right now? I think it's I think it's important that we enter that we allow God's presence to move in here. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. come with some fancy, fancy little sermon. I'm not the best, the best of speakers, but just want God to use me as a vessel. I'm just a mouthpiece. God has truly laid an assignment on my heart. And... And I feel like God's going to do something in our youth group tonight. Maybe, maybe this only speaks to one person. Maybe this, this message is for another young person that's listening online or that may listen to this on a later date. But I feel like God has truly impressed me with, impressed upon me a word for this house. If you all can turn your Bibles with me before that, why don't we just lift up our hands right now? I feel like God's going to do something great. God, we love you and we praise your name, God. Oh, God, anoint this, these lips of clay of mine. Use me to be a voice to this generation and the generation coming up after me, God. Lord, let this word reach the hearts and minds and ears of every soul in this room tonight, God. Hallelujah. Let the altars be filled with people tonight, God. Hallelujah. Let this word reach the hearts and minds and ears of every soul that may be listening to this message, God. God, we praise you and we magnify you. And all God's people say amen. If you all can turn with me to the word of the Lord in the book of 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 18 to 22. I'm going to do my very, absolute very best to be aware of time. I'm going to do my very best to say what God wants me to say. And we're all going to pray throughout the altars together. 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 18 to 22. Before I start, I want to I want to honor my youth my youth leader, Pastor Sferlaza and his wife, Sister Sferlaza. Thank you so much for your investment in me. Thank you for giving me the privilege and the honor of being able to speak behind this sacred desk. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you, First Lady, for giving me the honor and the privilege to allow God to use me to speak to this people behind this sacred desk. I don't take it very lightly, but without further ado, let's get started in the word of the Lord. 
For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, verse 18, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who lived in error. While they promised them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption, for of whom a man is overcome, of the same as he brought in bondage. And then verse 20, verse 20 is what I want to really emphasize on. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. And then the last phrase of 22, the dog is, return, is turned to his own vomit again, and the soul that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. And then the last scripture, Genesis chapter 4 and verse number 7. Everyone's familiar with the account. This is where Cain and Abel, they're young men at this point, and they're giving their first fruits to God. Abel gives his first fruits. Cain does not give his first fruits. And in verse 7, the Lord asks him a question and tells him this particular statement. If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And for a few moments tonight, I want to preach on this simple topic that the Lord has given me, and that is when sin enters your life. Why don't we all put our hands down and just clap our hands into the Lord right now? God, we love you and we praise you. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. You can be seated. When I began, when I began to prepare as the Lord gave me this assignment to preach to you all tonight, I thought it, it would be important of us to understand what the word sin means. And Sister Aber, when she preached, she did this very well, explained it very well, but it comes from the, our Greek word, hamartia, meaning a missing of the mark. It also comes from the Greek word, hamartano, meaning to miss the mark or to sin against God. When we allow sin into our lives, we are missing the mark. Instead of pressing toward the mark of the high calling of God, we are undermining, we are, we are, thwarting the call of God in our life when we allow sin to enter. To sin is to miss the mark, and to miss the mark is to sin against God. And to sin against God is to step out from under the umbrella of God and ultimately rebel against his word. As I began to study and God began to speak to me, he, can, he brought my attention to the account of Abraham and Lot. For, for as a preface, I want to give you the context. In chapter 12, we read how God calls Abram. He was called Abram before he was called Abraham. And we read how God called Abraham out of his country and to bring all that he had. And one of the people that he brought was his nephew, Lot. We, we get out of this that God calls you out to bring you into something new. When you got sin under your life, God wants to get all that old filthy junk out of your life so he can bring you into what he's called you to be, into the land of promise. Similarly, before God can live inside of us, he has to get that junk out. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and verse 14 says, To be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath, hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? 
for ye are, uh, ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. If we are to be all what God call, has called us to be, we got to get all the old junk out of our life. We got to get the old friends out of our life. We can't dwell with the, the sinners of this world. We can't partake in the pleasures of this, of this world and the, the cares of this life and say we're a Christian. Wherefore, the apostle Paul says, for this reason, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. This was the issue that the children of Israel had from the very beginning. They just could not. They just could not understand and, and obey the simple commandment of being separate from the world. They wanted to do everything the world wanted to do. They, they wanted, for instance, they wanted a king like the other nations when God was their king. And in chapter 13, we read how strife began to arise between the herdmen of Abraham and Lot's cattle. Abraham chooses and in result of this strife between him and his nephew's herdman's cattle, we read how Abraham's like, look, if you go to the right, I will go to the left. And if you go to the left, I will go to the right. And we see how in verse 12 of the chapter 13 of the book of Genesis, uh, Abraham chooses to dwell in the land of Canaan, whereas Lot chooses to dwell in the cities of the plain. And you can pull that up on the, on the screen Chapter 13, verse 10. We'll start at verse 10. It says, And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere, before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. Next verse. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from another. And now... Verse 12, Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. Read the next, one more verse, one more verse of scripture. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. This tells me Lot knew that they were wicked before he started to entertain it and pitch his, his tent towards it. It's funny how sin always tries to paint a beautiful picture of itself. It's interesting how the debauchery of this world, the cares of this life, the pleasures of this, the opportunities that this world has to offer always presents itself in a beautiful way. It looks good. Why not look at it? It's so beautiful to look at. It's so awesome and pleasurable. It satisfies my spirit when I look at it. He found the surroundings of Sodom and Gomorrah captivating. And it's not that he, he looked at it. It's the fact that he dwelled upon it and he entertained upon it. It's one thing to see something wicked and look away from it. But it's a whole other thing to see it and find it so attractive to the point where you long for it every day. I feel like we all get to a point in our lives where we all struggle with the pleasure of this world and living a life for God. It's, it's in our nature that we want to rebel. We want our way. It's, it's that constant pull of the flesh is warring against the spirit and the spirit warring against the flesh. And we know that the scripture says that they're both contrary one to, the, to another. It is in our nature as men and women to sin and to disobey and to rebel against the authority of God and his word. But we got to do, do our very best to not pitch our tents toward it and entertain those thoughts, those images, those activities that the world presents before our eyes. And it's very prevalent in our world today. Whereas it wasn't a problem 50 years ago, now it's becoming an issue because we haven't taken care of it. Abraham and Sarah, chapter, another chapter later in chapter 16, they ended up having a child out of the will of God. Sarah was barren, the scripture says, and they were both in their old age. And Sarah, at one point, is like, you know what, Abraham, 
why don't you lay with uh, the handmaid Hagar so that, you know, our seed can be blessed. God told you you're gonna, your seed was going to be blessed. We can't do it. It's impossible for us to do it. Why don't you go lay with Hagar? And out of this, we can get, when we operate out of our flesh, when we operate in our flesh, we have the tendency to operate outside of the will of God, outside beyond the fence that God has placed to protect us, not to limit us, not to ruin our fun, not to bust your bubble, but to protect you. When we operate in our flesh, we tend to do the things that we ought not to do. The Apostle Paul talked about how the things he, he wanted to do, the things he knew he knew how to do was right. He would not do it. And the things that he would not do, that's what he ended up doing. And he knew that it was sin that worketh in him. And it was his flesh. It was his carnality. And if we're not careful, we'll end up like Lot who, who started off pitching his tent and looking at it every day to ending up in sin and in wickedness. God's not looking for a people that's willing to compromise. He's not looking for people who are lukewarm. God said that I would rather you be cold or hot, not lukewarm. If you're lukewarm to God in God's eyes, he's going to spew you out of his mouth. He's going to vomit you out of his mouth if you choose to live a life of sin. From here, God makes a covenant with Abraham and all mankind. And explains to Abraham that Isaac is the seed of promise, not Ishmael. And we can see that as the Apostle Paul writes in his epistle in the book of Galatians. And he explains that. And then we read chapter 18. And it, and it, just, it just did something to me when I was reading it and I was studying the scripture. We find how there were visitors, there were angels that appeared you know, the wrote himself in, 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 fle in fleshly form. And they, they come up to Abraham. They see him and his wife at the tent. They tell him that God's going to give him a child. They tell him that, you know, is there anything too hard for the Lord to do? And he tells them that, and this time, next, you know, next season, you're going to be blessed with a child of promise. And, after, and shortly after that, we see the men, the, the men move towards Sodom and Gomorrah and... We see that Abraham has this conversation with God. Lord, if there be 50 righteous, are you going to destroy the righteous with the wicked? If there be 50 righteous, are you going to save them? If there be 45, it's just this back and forth thing. Because he knew he had a nephew and a family there that was living in sin and wickedness. It all started, if you read in Genesis 19.1, Put it up on the screen. This is where we see Lot. And there came two angels to Sodom at even, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. It started off with pitching his tent in the plains, out in the surroundings. And there was something about Sodom and Gomorrah. There was something about the, the pool of Sodom and Gomorrah. There was something about the electromagnetic if you would, if you, if you would put like magnets, there was something about that pool. There was something about Sodom and Gomorrah that was so pleasing to Lot's eyes. There was something about the wickedness and the debauchery and the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah that pulled him in, that had such a influence on his life that eventually he ended up at the gate of Sodom. He lived in Sodom, and if you read, we see how Lot. Of, we see that that Lot has a wife and he has kids, this shows me that, he, that it wasn't just a few days in, in Sodom and Gomorrah. This wasn't just a few months. This was years that he was there. He had time to sit there and get his character get changed and his development start to change and his behavior started to change to the point where he was able to have a family in Sodom in, and Gomorrah. And to paint a good picture... I would like for us to open up to Romans chapter 1 and verse 28. Just to kind of give you a picture, the Bible doesn't say what kind of sins were in Sodom and Gomorrah specifically. But we know that the Bible, from what the Bible says, if you study it out, that it was wickedness. There, it, was, it was filthy in God's eyes. There was a stench 
that came up to God when he went about Sodom and Gomorrah. That's what, God, that's what happens to God. When we live, indulge ourselves in a life of sin, it causes a stench. We start to stink. We start to rot. That's what sin does when it enters your life. When you leave that door open for sin to enter your life for adultery or for fornication or what you fill in the blank. If you allow it to enter your life and don't nip it in the button now while you're young, when you get older, you'll, you'll, you'll stink. You'll start to rot from the inside out. And verse 28 says, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, to skip to the next verse, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Next verse, or actually that's the verse, that's the verse right there. If we so much as take pleasure in sin, and these are just examples of sin. These are just examples that could have been inside Sodom and Gomorrah that we can extract from the scripture. God, the apostle Paul here writes that even taking pleasure in those things is the same as you even doing them. And we see that Paul or that Lot is, has pitched his tent towards Sodom and toward Gomorrah. And eventually, after years' time, he eventually ended up in sin. He ended up in that place of filth, full of fornication, a place that where people didn't even like to retain God in, our, in their knowledge. To the point where God was like, you know what? If that's what you want, I'm going to turn you over to a reprobate mind. A mind void of judgment. Uh, your behavior, your perception, uh, your, your thought process, the way you used to think as a Christian is no longer going to be that. But you're going to be thinking like the world, of the world. Do things that the, that the world loves to do. It was only the surroundings that it started off with. What is, and what was very, what very, what intrigued me was simply this. With Lot, obviously, we can conclude that Lot was most likely a young man at the time when his, when God called him and his family to leave his country. And we can conclude that with Abraham being a man of God, he obviously taught Lot the ways of God, how to be a Christian, what things God hated and what things God loved. Things that it was just, it was just what made God want to vomit. That's what Abraham taught him. He taught him how to, how to be a man of God, how to stand for truth when no one else wanted to stand. And we find him ending up in Sodom and Gomorrah. What was he doing there in the first place? A man like him should have known better. You know, it's really nice being able to look at all the fornication going around at Sodom and Gomorrah. No, that's... Something, that's something Abraham would have taught me not to do. I can't do that. Next day, comes out of his tent. Man, look at all the, all the drugs. I mean, look at all the, look at the money you can get from drugs. But they never tell you what life after drugs, what drugs can do to you. Day after day, lots coming out of his tent that he pitched toward Sodom and Gomorrah. There was, it was so pleasurable to Lot that he ended up in Sodom and Gomorrah. And all it took was a simple look. All it took was a simple look. He went from looking at sin to living in sin. 
before David committed in 2 Samuel chapter 10, 11, and 12, we read how there was a battle with the children of Israel and the children of Ammon. <clears throat> and the children of Ammon eventually hired the people of Syria and other nations to come in war with the children of Israel. And we see that David rallies up his men. They go and they, they defeat the, the enemy. And then the next chapter, in chapter 11, we read that, and you can pull it up on the screen for me. It was a time when kings ought to go to battle. And we find that, that David ended up choosing not to go forth to battle. If you can pull it up on the screen, 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. And it came to pass after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David spent, sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, but David tarried still at Jerusalem. Next verse. And it came past in an evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. Just a look. I'm sure there was probably, there could have been multiple visits to that rooftop. And, and hopes and longing for seeing Bathsheba wash upon that, that rooftop naked. And we read script verses later that, a few verses later that David has Bathsheba sent to, sent to him and they conceive child. He commits adultery with Bathsheba. And eventually, and we see, if you read throughout the whole chapter, you see how throughout this whole entire time, David had no remorse or pity for nothing this whole time. He was comfortable and it was, it was natural to him. He obviously looked at Bathsheba enough, enough visits to that rooftop enough to where it didn't even bother him no more. And we find that he has Uriah the Hittite killed. He didn't even have the guts to kill him himself and he had someone else do his dirty work for him without any remorse, without any pity and had him killed in the front lines of battle where the valiant men went to battle. They knew, the men in the front lines knew that this, this is our last moment together. And he told them to send them out in the heat of the battle to have him killed. And you read in chapter 12 how the man of God confronts, Nathan the prophet confronts David. And he uses a simple analogy talking about sheep, how there was a, a rich traveler that had all the sheep that he could use. And, he, and there was a, a, a poor man that had only one ewe lamb that grew up with him since it was young. And he, he, he fed that lamb. It was his best lamb. And we read that the rich traveler uh, took the poor man instead of himself and offered it. And we read how David responds to Nathan. And he says, you know, we're going to, we, we, whatever, whoever this man is, he's going he's gonna to have to He's going to have to pay big time for this. He's going to, God's going to, he's going to, we're going to, God's going to be so mad at what he had did. And Nathan the prophet says, thou art the man. He, he uses the example of this to try to get David's attention. Because there was something about lambs that caught David's attention. Before he was ever king, he was a shepherd boy on the hillside, tending to the sheep. Didn't want the lions or the, the wolves creeping in with all the, all the sheep because he knew if the wolves crept in long enough and got mixed up within the sheep, the wolves would get hungry and would tear into the sheep apart and take the very lives of a sheep. We read in scripture how Jesus likens us to his sheep and he is the shepherd and the sheep know the voice of their shepherd. The reason why, young people, we preach these messages, why pastor and all the great men of God that have come here preach these messages of separation from the world is to keep the wolves out. 
before you start going tearing down those fences and those walls that were built, not to ruin your fun, not to, not to limit you, not to dictate your life and what you can and what you cannot do. It's, oh, it's a bunch of rules. and re- No. What, was, what those walls were designed to do was to keep all the filth and the wolves and the junk out. Not to bring them in. And he says, thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. And verse number 9, wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and hast taken his wife to be thy wife, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Amnon. And verse number 12, for thou didst it secretly. But I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. And the child that he has, his, his payment of his sin. He would have had, his, had the kingdom rent had, had he not come to grips with himself and said, you know what, I am the man. He allowed, the God sent a man of God, a watchman on the wall, into David's life at the right place and at the right time. And saved the very life of David. David was on the brink of losing his place as king over Israel. And we find that his, his repentance and his change of heart and his acknowledgement, you know what, I did, I did what, I, what I did was wrong and it was filthy and it was disgusting. His result and his payment was that his child was going to die. All because of one look of sin. We read that his son Amnon had a friend named Jonadab. All it took was one voice of in, one bad voice of influence to get him to rape his sister Tamar. Young people, if we're not careful, if we're not careful with the things that we look at, if we're not careful with the friends that we hang out around, if we're not if we don't get it in our heart and in our spirit and in our being to not do those things which are, un, which are unpleasant before the eyes of God, we'll start to become those things. And it'll get to the point where it'll change your behavior. It'll change the way you think. It'll change your development. David's sin with Bathsheba is where we get the scripture in Psalm where David is singing this psalm. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. We read how the angels meet up with Lot and his sons and, and he told, the angels told him, hey, there's going to be certain judgment if you keep staying here. Lot probably on his trip to Sodom and Gomorrah was probably, you know what? I'm glad I don't have to listen to my Uncle Abe anymore. I'm glad, you know, man, I can fornicate all I want. I can marry the woman in this world all I want and not have to worry about him being on my back. I can, I can partake in this and not have to worry about the man of God counsel me on day in and day out and tell me what I can't do and tell me what I have to do. It's not a, it's, you're, if, you, if that's how you're looking at it, you're looking at it wrong. I had one person tell me that because he said, you know, and I'm just being transparent. He said, you know, it's, it's, it's funny how I do one thing. This is this one particular young person. He goes, you know, it, why is it that one thing I do that the man of, that doesn't that some for some reason doesn't line up with the, what the man of God sees just kicks me out because I do one thing that doesn't line up with what he said. Red flag number one. It's not up to question whether you want to agree or disagree with the man of God. If the man of God says something, it is a word from heaven. It is not up for debate. 
God loves Sodom and Gomorrah so much that he began to linger in Sodom and Gomorrah. And instead of fleeing completely, he sticks within the plains of Sodom and Gomorrah, goes to a place of Zoar. You know, it's just a little thing, God. It's not that, but come on, what is one little city that's only maybe a few miles or just on the outside of time, what is that going to do? I mean, God's going to spare me. He says, God, you know, he's like, I'm gonna, you're going to spare me anyway, so what's the point of moving to this little place? And he emphasizes, isn't it just a little one? And all it took was one little trip on the rooftop for David to commit adultery with Bathsheba. All it took was one voice of influence for Jonadab. What makes you think just looking at Sodom and Gomorrah is going to be any different? When you view sin, when you view the world and you take pleasure in this world, all it's going to do is rot you out from the inside. Solomon started off with one woman, an Egyptian of whom God said, do not fool with. One of, the peop- one of the nations he said not to fool with, and he ended up with 999 more. Turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 11. It says, but King Solomon loved many strange women. And in verse, and in verse 2, at the end it says, for surely they, the, the, you know, the Lord talks about how they will surely turn away your heart after their gods. But Solomon claimed to these in love. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. And his wives did what? They turned away his heart. All because of one woman. And because he just, because he just wanted his way, he got what he wanted, but it turned his heart away from God. With just one woman, it caused him to start worshiping to their gods because their, the house of the Lord wasn't built. It just started off with one woman. If you keep reading, it says, For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, verse 6, and went not fully after the Lord as did David, his father. And, he, and you read how he begins to build all these high places. And because he started to do all these things, all the kings after him had the same issue. They destroyed the groves. They kept the high places there. And it was just back and forth situation going on. They just didn't want, they just people of the the kings of that time and the children of that time just could not understand the simple commandment of do not of, of of staying separate from the world the longer you stay in the world the more you'll become like the world we don't know if of solomon ever got to that place of repentance but we do know if you can put it up on the screen ecclesiastes chapter 2 verse 10 and 11 solomon says these famous words if you read in the beginning of this chapter he talks about all these things that he got i got the wealth i had everything a man could ever dream of and whatsoever my eyes desired i kept not from them i withheld not my heart from any joy for my heart rejoiced in all my labor and this was my portion of all my labor. Next verse. And then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and all the labor that I had labored to do. And behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit. And there was no profit under the sun. He got everything he wanted. All the, he maybe even put it in modern lingo. He got all he got all the drug the drugs he got. He got all the money he wanted. Got all the the women that he wanted, got the, the nice car that he wanted, got the, the nice palace and mansion that he wanted, and all of it was nothing. He explains the scripture, what if a man gains the whole world? What does it profit if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? God's not looking for a, a, a people that's willing to compromise over the stuff that vexes your spirit. 
God is not looking for a people that's willing to conform to this world. The world, the word world in this sense is mean comes from the Greek word aion, meaning an age or era. It is used of one's time or of life or age. It is a period of time or period of indefinite duration that is marked by spiritual or moral characteristics. From each aeon, there arise inventions, allurements, enticements, carnal trappings, places and events invented by humans. Every generation produces an atmosphere and environment that is peculiar to its own day, which is destructive to our spiritual lives if we involve ourselves in it. This situation is constantly in a state of flux, ever-changing, moving, and reaching out to devour the souls of people. Problems of 50 years ago may not plague us today, and if Jesus tarries, problems today may not be problems 50 years from now. Each generation must be spiritually aware of the enticements, allurements, and evils of its day, and not allow these things to separate them from God. We cannot get mixed up with this world. We cannot allow the world to shape us and form us into its mold, because if you look at it, you'll end up into it. As we move forward with new inventions, devices, and new forces of evil to fight, we must stay abreast of what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Each generation produces its own age and spirit. The world, which is the cosmos, referring to the customs, values, and habits of sinful human society, human society of humanity under satanic influence, will constantly bring false doctrines, wrong codes of conduct, and worldliness to our society. We have desires, ambitions, strong inclinations to be like our contemporaries and to participate in the activities of our age. We must discern these satanic devices that are peculiar to our day, are particularly prominent to our day, and then we must shun them and remove them from our lives. And if you're not careful, if you entertain this world, you'll get caught up in the spirit of this age. You'll get wrapped up in the, car the carnal ways of mankind. You'll get wrapped up in the, the, the very rebellious nature of mankind. I'm sure David was like, come on, it's in, it's in my nature as a man to look upon a woman. That's a habit. You can break habits. Don't confuse well, what's with nature to with habits. It is our duty as Christians to break those very habits. This is why we can't conform to the world. Because if we conform to the world, we become like the world. If we get so infatuated with the customs and values and habits of sinful human society, then we will spiritually die from the spirit of this age. I believe somewhere along the way of Lot pitching his tent towards Sodom, and him living in Sodom, he listened, maybe probably listened to some bad influences. Probably just simple people taking a normal walk in the cities. What are you doing in the pit, pitching your tent looking at Sodom? Why, why don't you just live in it? You know, my uncle told me I can't, I can't go to those places. Your uncle told you what? Come on, you only live once, man. Just partake in it. Stop looking at it and just, just, just be you. Act like us. Conf just come on. It's just one look. Hey, you know, you know, I got some buddies back in, back in the city, you know, in Sodom. You know, we hang out, we party, we, we throw down, we, we have all the fun we can with the women. Why don't you just come and hang out with us? Or if they want to make it innocent and try to cover up what really is happening, they'll say, come on, it, it, we understand that you're a Christian. Why don't you just hang out with us? It'll be fine. We won't go that far. Just come with me. Which brings me back to 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 20. If you can bring that up on the screen, please. And I'm getting, I'm, I'm getting, I'm not going to be much longer. So if musicians, you can come. For after they have escaped the pollutions of this world. Pollutions comes from our Greek word miasma, meaning foulness. It denotes the vices or the wickedness of, of the ungodly 
which contaminate a person in his or her interaction with the world. It stains you, it tinges you, or dyes you with another color as in the staining of a glass. And if you interact with the world and the pollutions that this, if this world has, you'll start to stink and it'll contaminate you. It was just one look. It's just one act of fornication. It's just a game. What, what really intrigues me is people will sit there and try to justify, well, at least I'm not killing a person, and, you, and use a game that involves killing robots to try to replace it. Fooling around with the world. They just want to, they just, they want what they want. They want whatever can please them. Saul lost his place as king because of the sin in his life that he allowed. It's just King Agag, just one person. What's the big deal, Samuel? The people made him, it was the people that did it, not me. When the scripture literally says Saul and the people. just one person we read later that Samuel approaches the man of God and Saul's like you know you know I did I did the work of the Lord he was going to Saul the Samuel saying look Samuel I did what you wanted I did what God wanted and Samuel's like no you didn't you kept him what's what why do I hear the sheep bleeding after I after God told me to tell you to kill everything leave no one alive and he kept it there Eventually, King Saul, he admits what he did was wrong. And he's like, you know, the people made me do it. And Saul begins, and Samuel begins to mourn for Saul. Because he just, he just wouldn't listen. That's the, that's, that's the main reason why we get caught up in the mess that we get caught up in. It's because we couldn't simply just obey what the man of God had to say. That man that's sitting back in that, in that pew has to give an account for you. It doesn't feel good when he has to go before God and, you know, God, I tried. I tried telling them to not get caught. I tried, I tried telling them not go to that place, and they went there anyway. I told them, come on, you got to get that television out of your home. Because it's just gonna it's gonna bring in all the filth of this world. But because they just oh it's just a good movie, it's just a good show, at least it's PG. The generations after you will take that that word that the way you were able the reason you were able to compromise and just put just a good thing in there, they will eventually take it a step further. And each generation will get caught up in the spirit of its age and the the pleasures of its age. That man has to give an account for you. I'm going to read from the New International Version of Genesis 4-7. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. When sin enters your life, and involves you to open your door just a little bit. All it takes was just a little opening of the door. And if you can put this, the, the slide back on there. We see cups of different shades of water. Purity, clear. That's the soul, the picture on the far right of the, of the glass of water. Let's just say that represents us. Come to God, living a life of God life for God and we start you know just a little bit of fornication I mean what's what's the big deal if I disobey what one thing the man of God says and it's it begins there's this progression that begins to happen little sin here little sin there I mean I'm, I'm doing fine scripture talks about how people sin because there isn't expedient judgment 
what will happen if you sin long enough, you'll end up looking like that one on the, on the far left. God cannot use someone that's full of junk. God cannot use that. But on the contrary, he can take that and make it new again. I know this isn't popular preaching, and if you can all stand with me. Young people, we got to get to a point where we don't conform to this world. We're living in a time where people are leaving the church left and right over small little things that the man of God says, don't do it. Stay away from those things. Because if you're not careful, you'll end up like the, 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 the cup of water on the far left. And you'll get dirty and you'll be filled with the pollutions and you'll start to stink in God's eyes. So as we all stand, I want us all to just maybe in this time, in this season that this coronavirus is taking its place. I'm asking if there's any young people that are willing to rededicate themselves like I had to. I'm, willing, I'm wondering if there's any young people. Maybe this didn't speak to anybody. Maybe this is for someone else. Maybe this is just for one person. <laughs> if you can't just listen. It says that Samuel mourned for Saul. And God was like, Samuel, stop mourning. I have made, I have placed someone new, someone else. I have prepared someone else that is going to be king. Don't get twisted up and mixed up in the, in the mess and the filth of this world, young people. If we can all lift up our hands right now. God, we come to commit ourselves to you tonight. As these altars are open, you can come. There's a better way to live this life. And it is the answer is not to look at Sodom and Gomorrah. The answer is not to pitch your tent towards Sodom and Gomorrah. The answer is to not, is to not disobey the man of God. The answer is to get behind that man of God like Jonathan, his armor bearer. Man of God, whatever you, whatever you go through, I'm right beside you. If there's any of you that have any ought with your man of God or anyone in leadership, I think it would be who of us right now to make it right with them and get the junk and the sin out of our life.